Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Lainey Mays. And Essie Ramirez. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Library Love Fest podcast. This is Lainey from the Library Love Fest team. I am super excited because we have a, another episode of Editors Unedited coming to you. And today I want to welcome Tessa Woodward, who is executive editor at William Morrow Avon and Voyager. Hi, Tessa. Hi, I'm so excited to chat. Oh, thank you for doing this. And you have a special guest for us. So I'm going to hand it off to you. I have a very special guest and I'm so excited to be able to sit down and chat with Jesse Mahalik, who is one of the most delightful writers that I work with and to talk about this new series that I'm just so excited about, but also mostly because in the pandemic, I haven't seen Jesse in a while and we haven't had a chance to chat. And so I'm actually really just looking forward to this on a personal level. Um, and hopefully we won't go off into the weeds too much. But uh, welcome, Jesse. I'm so excited to chat with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And a shout out to all the librarians out there. Thank you all for listening. I know that my local library, the Austin Public Library, has really like helped keep me uh, sane during this pandemic. So thank you for everything you do. And Tessa, it is incredible to see you. Like, I, I wish in-person events were happening again, but you know, this is, as, this is as close as we can get for now. And I'm really excited to talk about this book because um, we are actually in the middle of editing the second book, but it's been so much fun to go back to this one because it's the start of a brand new series, the Starlight Shadow series. And it is one of the kind of juiciest romances, best science fiction space opera stories I have read in so long. It's about a female bounty hunter, her sworn enemy, who hires her to find something. And then along the way, they find love and the thing that we're looking for, maybe. I'm not going to spoil everything, um, which is a terrible way of describing it. So what would you say this book is about, Jesse? Um, I mean, it is it is about, you know, the, the bounty hunter who takes the job from the person that she she loathes, really, at the start of the story. So it's enemies to lovers. Um, but I also wrote it during the pandemic, so I didn't want it to be like too angsty or too whatever. So it's about found family. It's about the friends that always have your back. It's about finding love along the ways and how sometimes your enemies are not actually who you think they are. Um, and so really, it's just a very feel good story about how like you keep the people that you love close and how that circle can expand. And you do it so well. So I'm really excited for people to finally be able to read it. Um, 
One of the things that I always find fascinating, because I know when I'm editing, I have to think about it a lot, is how you keep track of all of the world building. Because not only are you coming up with this kind of really fun love story, but there is like intergalactic war and fighting political factions and royal families and bounty hunters looking for new kinds of technology and how do you keep track of it all and like where do you come up with some of these ideas um i use a program to write called scrivener which has a whole section that you can put research in and so i keep a million notes about things that i have written um anything that i write a line that looks like it's going to be like relevant to the future, I will put it over into like, this has to do with their ship or this has to do with the world. Um, so I try and keep really good notes because otherwise it would just all fall out of my brain and I would not know it anymore. Um, so the notes keeps me on track. And really the stuff that I come up with, it's just an amalgamation of all of the science fiction I read growing up, all of the science fiction movies that are out there. Um, and it kind of all just becomes a stew in my brain that then I pull out pieces and I'm like, oh yeah, that would be fun to explore. And so a lot of my world building, like my books generally are character driven. So I start with the characters and then I figure out what they're going to do in the world. And so a lot of the world building sort of grows organically from that. One of my favorite parts of the world you've built is this ship because it's such, it feels like home to them because it is home to our characters. And you have just the description, I feel like, and I don't know, maybe this is the way I read, but I, I can see it in my brain and it feels like a movie. And so I like understand when they're going to the galley and they're gonna go all cook together or there's this one room that I just, I want to go there so badly. Just this greenhouse room on the ship and can you talk about it a little bit? Because I just think it's so cool. And usually you don't get that kind of like home description in science fiction. Yeah, so this is their home. Um, they are full-time bounty hunters. They live on the ship. This is basically their moving home. And I wanted it to feel like home. And also in Hunt the Stars and the Starlight Shadow series, it's not like it's high-tech, but it's not ridiculously high-tech. So they don't have faster than light travel except through wormholes, but their ships don't do it. So they can be in space for a very long time while they're traveling between the various wormholes and the various worlds. Um, and so because it's not, I didn't want them to have it too easy, but I also wanted them to have a place to relax. So the garden is a hydroponic garden. They grow some of their own food so they, they can go longer between supply stops but it's also just a piece of greenery in space. Like being in space, I, I've never been, I would like to be maybe at some point, maybe if I become, you know, a braver person, but um, it's, I feel like you would long for the things that you missed on a planet. So I tried to bring a little piece of that to their ship. I love it so much. Um, so I actually went back and looked at my edit letter and I think it's so funny. So this is our fourth book together. We did the first series and this is the first book in the new series. And I do feel like maybe I wasn't as 
polite as I might have been in previous edit letters. Not that I mean, I don't think. I hope, you know, I do want all of my authors to be terrified of my edit letters, you know, really, really anticipate getting harsh criticism, which is not true at all. Um, but I was like, I do think in the first couple of edits, I probably explained a little bit more why I was asking for edits. And maybe in this one, I was just a little bit like, yeah, this didn't work. Can you think of another way to fix it? Do you, is there something that in edit letters or like my edit letters that you're like, oh God, that's the most terrifying thing. Or I'm really hoping you say something like this. And do you feel like they've changed over the years? Um, I think maybe they have gotten a little less handholdy, which I'm actually perfectly fine with. And I don't really remember the edit letter for Hunt the Stars because we are right now in editing for Eclipse the Moon, which is the second book. Um, I don't feel like it was any meaner than any, like your edit letters, I don't know that you could be mean if you wanted to be. So I don't think that that's a problem. I will say that just personally getting the edit letter, there is always this mental hill that I have to be like, okay, I'm going to read it. And I know Tessa is the nicest person in the world, but she's going to have areas that need improvement. That's why we go through edits. And so I'll get it and I'll read it and I'll be like, yep, she is exactly right. And whatever you say in there, like, I don't know what you do that is so magic, but I'm like, oh, I see exactly what she means. And I know how to fix it based on like one sentence that she said. I'm like, oh yeah, that definitely, that could change and they could go this way. And this is so much better. So yeah, I actually, I love your edit letters. Well, that makes me very happy, but also everybody should be scared of me because yeah. it's scary. Um, no, it, when I was going back through it, I do think I was, I was like the world building was, there was so much of it. I was like, you need to kind of really make it clear what happened in the past, because this is, it's people who have just survived a war and they were on opposite sides of the war. And so it's kind of how they, how they learn to kind of get over the lies that they've all been told about each other. Um, and then also I definitely asked for more romance. Um, and I did, it's one of those things where it's my favorite edit to ask for, but sometimes I worry that like, I don't want to change your vision for the book, but I think you added quite a bit more and it was very good. I did. I did. I, I definitely upped the, up the spiciness level of the book after edits. Um, and there's, there's a couple things that you always ask for and that I always end up doing. One of them is more conflict because my first drafts generally tend to be like, I just want everybody to be happy and get along. And you're like, yes, yes, that's nice, but let's add some more conflict. Um, and the other one is like always up the romance. So I am always happy to do that. Um, for some reason, it just doesn't like I have the skeleton frame there in my first drafts, but where you like point out the places, you're always right. Like you're always right. So um, yeah, adding more romance and the romance that I added was super fun to add. So read the book, check out, check out, see if you can figure out where Tessa nudged me to add a little more romance. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it needed to happen. And the conflict also needs to happen no matter how much I want them to have happy lives and just like sort of skate along easily. Like, yeah, but maybe, maybe a little conflict. Just a, just a little conflict. You've got to torture them a little bit for that satisfying payoff, right? 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Like it, it's, it's always something that needs to happen. And the book comes out like a thousand times better for it. But when I'm writing, I'm like, oh yes, I'm going to just wrap you in cotton. You'll be fine. Uh, we'll fix you later. <laughs> so. So Torin, your hero, without giving anything away, I don't think, is telekinetic because that is um, that is part of this alien species you've created. How long did it take you to figure out the like mechanics of how all of this was going to work? Is it something where he kind of emerged fully formed and your Valos are all like, you knew what you were coming up with? Or were you like, oh, wait, if he's telekinetic or telepathic, then I have to change these things about how I was originally seeing the book. Um, he, he was definitely telepathic to begin with. And then when I started writing, I was like, what is scarier than somebody that could potentially read your thoughts? And it's somebody that could squish you without being anywhere near you. Um, and so then I was like, oh, yeah, if he's telekinetic, like what other abilities does his team have? Because he's super strong and he's built this team around him. So what can they do? And so it sort of spiraled out from there where it's really fun to play with sort of mental abilities where you can be like, oh, yes, I could read your thoughts, but I could also like, you know, I think everybody probably has wanted to be, you know, you're laying on the couch and you really want to like, you know, Jedi mind pull a remote control to you or a book to you or something. So it was kind of being able to have fun with abilities like that. Oh my God, all the time. I want to do it so badly. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I find so cool about this, it's a book about space, but food plays a huge role in it. Like food is really all about them gathering together and taking care of each other. And I love that. And I was wondering if kind of the pandemic and not being able to see people and have large meals together had anything to do with that, or if, you know, it just kind of happened naturally. I think it's a little of both. Like I did write it when we were in the beginning of the pandemic. And so I had, we were in super strict lockdowns. I hadn't seen anybody. And I was like, you know, it'd be great. It's just having a meal with like a group of friends. Um, but also Tavi is very much a caretaker. Like she wants everybody to be happy and well-fed and taken care of. And she's not wrong in that having shared meals builds camaraderie. So that was, it was kind of like, it's her in her nature to take care of everyone, but it was also sort of a, sort of a political move to get everybody together, to have them all sit down at the table. She made sure that the table seating was all interlaced so that it wasn't like one group on one side, one group on the other. And that was part of her plan to try and like get the get the Voloffs to not feel like that they were complete enemies because they're on her ship. And if they turn, like they're going to be fighting on her ship. So she's trying to pull them into her circle. Part of it was calculated. Part of it was just, that's how Tavi is. Like she just wants people to be well-fed and happy. So it kind of, it kind of was all of those things. I just feel like Oftentimes I'll read contemporary women's fiction and there'll be so much focus on the food. And when you're reading science fiction or space opera, you don't really think about it. The entire time I was reading this book, I was hungry. <laughs> and the entire time I was reading the second book, all I wanted was cookies. 
just a little bit of an Easter egg for everybody. Um, and it's just, I thought it was such a cool way to think about things. And I really loved that. Um, and I'm not sure I ever told you that in the edit letter. So I'm telling you that now. I think that was really cool. I appreciate um, but, it. But did the pandemic change your process at all for writing? Or are you like writing cave? And, you know, normally you don't see people when you're in the midst of writing. Um. I normally don't see people too much when I'm in the midst of writing because writing is sort of a solitary thing, but I did used to get together with friends and we would have some co-working time at a coffee shop and I would just be out and see people. And so having that basically completely cut off, um, it definitely impacted my creativity and my mental health where I was like, where do ideas come from? I don't know, but now one avenue is completely gone. Um, so there was definitely, there was definitely some, some struggle there where, because sometimes you'll hear something in the grocery store or while you're at a restaurant and it will, if it's not something that you're going to put directly in your book, it will trigger something else, which then you put into your book. And so it's all of these things sort of went away. And also because it was pandemic and because it was so stressful, I actually fell into a huge reading slump as well. And so I just... I would pick up a book and I would read like, you know, the first couple chapters and then I just couldn't and I would put it down and I couldn't read anything. So I couldn't read anything and I couldn't see anyone. And so, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why the first book was so like focused on family and gathering and people and love and happiness is like, I just poured all of those emotions into the book. Well, it works. And for what it's worth, it helped get me out of my reading slump because I was also very, I, in the past year, have mostly read books I've edited. And this was one that I was just, it was such a delight to actually go and if hang out with this crew and want to be a part of their family. So you've done such an amazing job of really putting all of those feelings into the book. And I can't wait for people to read them. I know I've said that a million times, but like, seriously, I'm so excited. I'm also excited for something else um, that I want you to talk about. Luna, can you tell yes. us all about our what is going to be everybody's new favorite character? Yes, so Luna is a burbu. Um, it's a small animal that is native to the Voluvian Empire. Um, and she came to Tavi during the war. Uh, she was injured. So if you're trying to picture Luna, picture like a cross between an Arctic fox and a house cat and some other sort of small four-legged furry animal. Her fur is snow white, hence the name Luna. Um, and she is adorable and she's also kind of mischievous. And so Tavi got her during the war, um, saved her. She was injured. She carried her out and then tried to release her back into the wild, couldn't. And now she is part of the ship. And because she is from the Volovian Empire, I got to play with some of her abilities. And so she is mildly uh, telepathic. So if she wants food, she can project into your mind a picture of what she thinks food is, which is like a little creature that looks like a bunny. Or she can show you her empty food bowl. And she is also really incredibly smart. So it was so fun to have her on the ship because... She is adorable and she's cuddly and 
And once again, once again, pretty much everything comes back to me wanting everybody to be happy and, you know, fulfilled. And so Luna was another piece of that. And it was so fun to write her as well. That was probably the part we had the hardest trouble with the cover though, right? Getting something, a creature that looked like Luna on the cover. We had the cover, we had the couple, we got, I think, a moon in the background or planet in the background, but getting that the way you have imagined her onto the cover was probably the hardest part. Yeah, it definitely was because I think that I think that I wasn't necessarily super clear in my first my first artistic descriptions of her because I think the first cover that we had come back I was like that's a corgi like that's that's just straight up a corgi like I don't know dogs that much but that's definitely a corgi and so we went through a few iterations but now I think it's perfect. I'm very excited and also just a cool little feature of the print version is that we have a picture at the opening of every chapter of kind of this cool foxy cat like creature. And I just think people are going to love it. Yeah. I loved it when I first saw the, uh, saw the galley of it. I was like, this is so cool. And she has also got a little cameo on the title page. Like it's, I'm, I am thrilled with how the print books came out. They look really cool. Um, so we've touched on book two a little bit, and I know book one hasn't even come out yet, but can you talk a tiny bit about what you see going on for the rest of this series? I loved book two. I'm excited for book three. I just want to know what's coming next. Um, yeah, so as, you, as you've as you said, I am editing uh, book two right now, um, which is going well, and I, I'm really enjoying edits. And so the book two is um, Key and Varro, who you will meet in book one. So every book in this series follows a new couple that you meet in book one. Like you, you meet all the main cast of characters in book one, and then the cast kind of grows a little bit as the books go along. But the, the core couples, you do see all of them in book one. So pay attention to who you think might be book three. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a continuation of the story arc. So each book can re- be read as standalone, but the trilogy itself will have a, an overarching um, plot as well. And so after the events in book one, they are trying to figure out how to prevent uh, basically an interstellar war again. And so they are, they're going, and I can't give too many spoilers away because a lot of it is spoilers for book one. But um, it is it is also romance. And this couple, like this character, Key is a chaotic, chaos, ro- rainbow hacker character who I love with my entire soul because I sort of fall into some of those categories as well. So Tavi is kind of steady and like she's been a leader forever. She's the captain. She knows what's going on. Um, Key is sort of a delightful mess. And so um, I am really enjoying writing her book or editing her book now. I love her so much. I really didn't think that I could love anyone more than Tavi. And now you're like, oh, well, no, try this one, which is kind of one of my favorite parts of editing is I fall so in love with the book that I'm working on at that moment. And then you're like, no, I'm going to outdo myself. Here's number two. I I am glad you feel that way because I have to say, um, I wrote book one during the pandemic I wrote book two also during the pandemic because the pandemic 
it would just seems to never end. I'm writing book three now during the pandemic. And I was really hoping that, you know, these books would come out. And in fact, I think I put something in the acknowledgements, like I hope that this book comes out after the pandemic is over. And it does not look like that's going to happen. But writing during the pandemic has been a little bit uh, sad, I would say, basically. So while I was writing, and the thing is, is that when you're writing um, your next book, you're generally doing edits for the previous book. So I'm doing edits for Hunt the Stars while I'm writing Eclipse the Moon. And I'm like, this book I'm writing is clearly, it's clearly not as good because Hunt the Stars was on its way to being edited at that point. Like it's not really comparing two identical things. Um, but I, I wrote it and I sent it in. I like, I did as best as I could. And I was like, yeah, this book is just not as good. And now I'm editing it. And I'm like, this book is incredible. Like, what was I thinking? So I think a lot of that was just like pandemic, pandemic mindset happening. Completely understand. And one of the things that is the most exciting is we're basically coming up on the year of Jesse because we have the first two books and possibly the third, I can't remember when that one's coming out, in the same year, which is something for people who are really excited to read kind of a completed series or more than one book, you know, follow up with the second book really soon thereafter, they're going to have the chance to do that. So I'm extra excited for that. But that's going to mean a lot of promotion for you. Yes, yes, it is. And I think that that's going to be, I think it's going to be amazing because um, book one comes out on February 1st. And I think right now book two is scheduled for sometime in July. I don't remember. Don't remember. I think it may be my birthday week. So sometime mid-July. So happy birthday to me. And I don't, I don't know what the, the third book is, but just having, having readers be able to like devour book one and then have such a short wait for book two, I think is going to be awesome. I'm very, very happy that we're doing that. And it's going to be a great year for reading, I think. Yeah, I hope so. I really hope so. That is all the questions I have for you, but can you tell everybody where they can get the books, when they can get the book, and kind of play us out, Jesse? Sure. Um, Hunt the Stars, it is, is available February 1st, 2022. Um, you can get it from all of your favorite local independent bookstores. You can get it from the library. Uh, put those library requests in if you're not a librarian, because I'm sure the librarians would love to love to see interest for it. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Jesse Mahalik. You can find me at jessiemahalik.com. That's my website where I will post all sorts of you know, teaser information. You can read the first chapter is up if you are interested in seeing more about Hunt the Stars. And thank you so much for having me. This has been such a, such a fun chat. Thank you so much for talking to me. It is so nice to be able to chit chat with you and let the entire universe listen. Yeah, exactly. I kind of forgot that we were recording a podcast there for a second. I was like, oh, this is just such a nice conversation. Thank you, Jesse. And hopefully after this one comes out, we'll have another chat. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. 
Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.